for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. And welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. So this week, we're going to do a masterclass on building positive working relationships. And I'm really excited to have Yvonne Garino with me. Um, I'm going to apologise in advance because I think this this particular episode might go a bit wild because we've already spent half an hour chit-chatting away. We've discovered we may have a few things in, pers- in common personality and communication-wise. So um, listeners, we'll try and keep the pace uh, keep it structured and pacey at the same time, Yvonne. So Yvonne, um, her business is Golden Catalyst. Uh, she's just wrote, written a brilliant book, which is one of the, I will send a picture of it with the um, episode. It's an absolutely lovely hardback book called People in Their Element, How to Create Positive Working Relationships. And we're going to explore this. And this is obviously Yvonne's area of interest and expertise. But Yvonne, would you like to just position yourself before we go into chat a little bit more about yeah, creating positive relationships. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. It is lovely to be here. I totally agree with you. This will be very conversational. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm a, a an HR person by trade. So that is my background. Um, and all the years that I spent in HR, I always saw the same patterns over and over again. So I chose to specialize when I set up my business in the piece that I think sits below everything else that goes on in the HR world, which is the relationships that happen between people. And that is my key interest and focus. I'm very development orientated anyway. I love learning. I love seeing how things evolve. And yeah, I could talk about it for hours. And I think that's one of the things we both share an interest in. And your book particularly goes into lots of personality models, lots of communication models. Um, And I I mean, I guess it's obviously to how do you pull that all together? And, And what was it that actually inspired you to try and get lots of topics which are maybe intuitive and there's, you know, and also sort of practice and policy and um, uh, models and things. What was it inspired you to put it together into one book? It's really interesting because I, I I probably set myself the target of writing a book about 2002. It was one of those things I always said I would get round to at some point. But, you know, you need a reason to write a book and you need something to write about. And when I started going into business in my um, in my current role, so as, as the um, kind of facilitator that I am now, what I realized is there were lots of things I had to say about why I think people do what they do, where that comes from, how it all works that didn't lend themselves naturally to a first interaction with a team that isn't necessarily comfortable conversation for people to have with their work colleagues, or that runs just a little bit deeper than something that naturally comes out in day-to-day conversation in the workplace. And what I did with the book is I tried to capture all the things that go through my mind that sit in the back of my head that feed into why I do what I do and how I do it 
to give people that kind of insight without feeling exposed and vulnerable when they're in a room with their colleagues, their peer group, their manager. So it kind of pulled together all the sort of thinking behind the workshops I run so that someone can take that away and do that for themselves and then apply that in the workplace without necessarily having to overshare or be overly vulnerable. So it's kind of a, it's a combination of many years of thinking of how I've put my pieces together in my own life and in my work and, and kind of giving someone that kind of deeper access to what sits behind this kind of work. Does that answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I can see that um, I've got a view on where it might be um, aimed at the book, but who would you, I know your HR background, you work with managers and you know, individuals in the workplace in terms of facilitating positive communication and positive relationships. Who would you aim the book at in terms of the readership? It's a really mixed bag. I think really the aim is for the manager who has a team who wants to think about what is going on here. How is it working? Why is it working like this? What am I not seeing? how how can I change what I do to get a different result with people to change the dynamics in the team that I have what's interesting though is I'm getting a lot of interest from people who are not managers who are wanting to do this exploration for themselves too so maybe who are aspiring managers or who just see that this is an area of interest to them or that find relationships hard in general who are now going out on their own to kind of look at how they can develop and I, and I would agree with that. And one of the things I, it strikes me that if you were maybe a coach or maybe a manager, you're setting out as a coach, because we had a conversation before we came on the podcast, didn't we, about almost how we feel quite intuitive when we're working with people, um, whether you're facilitating a group or work coaching an individual, there's a level of intuition that makes you think, well, this model will be relevant. Or if I give them this analogy, that's going to be helpful. And, and actually, the intuition probably is years of experience where you realise that this fits or works there and I think that's something that you've brought into the book is almost going this model is going to be help you in this circumstance so you could almost accelerate somebody's ability to be an effective coach or line manager or 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 understand themselves by by the way you've designed the book I think yeah absolutely I wanted it to be practical because I'm a practical person and theories are great but not if you don't know how to apply it in real life and exactly like you said in the way that I work, so much of it is intuitive. I'll tell this story. I'll mention this situation. I'll refer back to something I read 10 years ago that I keep going back to. And what the book does is it takes all these pieces and puts them together so that someone can go, oh, that's why she does that. Or that's why someone might say that. And it should help somebody to do that for themselves. And, you know, I'm quite happy for people to borrow my stories. If somebody reads something in the book, and thinks, oh, that's a really good analogy. I could use that. Use it. That's what most facilitators and practitioners do. They use other people's models, other people's theories, lots of different stories that are collated over time, and they use it to help whatever situation they're working in. Yeah, this helps. Absolutely. People can borrow. I I always like, I think stories and models for me, and some people don't like models, but they just give a framework. And one of the arguments against models, personality tools we've talked about, people sometimes go, oh, I don't like it because I don't want to be boxed in. But it's it's not about restriction. It's about, for me, commonality and helping people to have shared understanding. Um, If you have a framework or analogy, it gives people something to hang on to, to be tangible, that then they can maybe appreciate, well, this is all about relationships. It's about actually appreciating why relationships are sometimes different uh, are difficult often it, it could be differences or it could be too much similarity but having a framework gives you something to hang on to to make it 
not seem personal I think that's the thing it takes some of the negativity out of things I love it that you said that because it's absolutely if somebody says to me oh I don't want to be put in a box I said absolutely I don't want you in a box either the idea is actually that it's a bit of an unboxing exercise you see boxes and you look at which one is attractive to you and with when you talk about how much time you spend in each box you don't say that's me I'm a box so what what models and theories give me is the entry point into the conversation it's not the end it's the beginning so when you come with a personality tool or you come with a theory what you're saying is well here's one way to package the thing let's see what we can do with that let's see how it helps and once we're done with that we can always look at something else and see how that will help in the same way that you don't go to a fitness instructor learn one exercise and go I'm done now you do that exercise and then as you build strength, you might do something else or you might have to balance that with something different. It's the combination of the things. And like you said, with the being intuitive, with a lot more experience, what happens is you see what needs to happen next and which bit of which model comes into play much more easily. But for a less experienced manager, or for a less experienced facilitator, that doesn't seem so obvious. And therefore you have to start with tools to give you that framework, that structure to get you going with time it evolves yeah and you see how they work and you see how people respond to them and that gives you um experience and real examples to how they how they work um i suppose drilling in uh, before i drill into some of the sort of just like little uh, some of the key points in in the book and obviously people can um will put a reference in the show notes as to where people can access your book but just do you want to explain well when we talked off, off camera we said a bit about the book is in some way almost explaining what you do and, and speaking as people we've both been in the facilitation training consultancy um world it's quite hard to explain what you do I think in in when you're working with human relationships slash communication um so do you want to position this because you're saying when I'm working what, what give an example of of the typical sort of activity that you might do where you would be sharing this sort of these skills and knowledge that we're talking about here so if I was so if I was running a workshop with a team that were perhaps newly formed, so there may be new managers turned up, maybe there's been a reshuffle in the organisation, you know this from your change story, you know people from different places have been brought together. What I would often be doing is going in and saying to this team, let's create a language, and this is where I use a colour profiling tool to do that, let's create a language that makes it really easy for us to talk to each other and get to know each other without anyone having to overshare. So what you might do is you might then say, here is a profiling tool. We'll all do the profile. But instead of saying you're this, you're that, what we would do is we would say, okay, well, this trait is here and that trait is there. And which one of these do I relate to? And why do I relate to it? And how does that show up at work? And it's perfectly okay then for someone in the room to go, well, I'm there sometimes, but actually I feel this one's okay too. And I say, well, that's fine because you actually could be both and you actually can move between the two. So people are talking about who they are and how they like to do things. And at no point have we mentioned any of the day job. Yeah. So this is all about people getting to know each other and getting a feel for that. And I can facilitate if I'm in the room, if somebody says something like, well, you wouldn't want to be like that because that's negative, to say, well, it would be if you're standing where you're standing. But actually, if you're standing over here, that's a really good thing. So a lot of it's to do with perspective. And let's talk about why people see things differently. So I can facilitate some of the conversation that might come difficult to people. And, and the reason I do it in colour is because it's much easier to say to somebody, gosh, that's very yellow of you, rather than saying, well, that irritated me because you're annoying. So it gives somebody the opportunity to say something yeah. when everybody knows what yellowness means. 
without actually saying it in a confrontational or judgmental way. It's just a label on a behavior, not a label on a person. So it gives lots of flexibility. And all, all the workshop kind of activities that I run are all about people sharing to a level that they're comfortable to share. No one ever gets put on the spot. And often teams will really get into it. Once they, the door opens, most of us want to be seen and heard. And therefore, most people want the opportunity to show people who we are. Once that, that ball is rolling, often teams will start sharing all sorts of things. I mean, I've even had somebody in a room say, actually, I used to think you over there were a bully for many years because I didn't know this about you. And now I've changed my mind and I'm glad I did because, my goodness, look at what's happened. Yeah. And other people in the room are kind of gasping, you know, sharp intake of breath. How could you call this person a bully? But they wouldn't be offended, probably, if it was that kind of type. actually, And actually, the person in the room was like, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I can see how you thought that. But I'm glad we're past it because actually that was in the past. It's not anymore. Yeah. And, you know, that it creates all kinds of opportunities for people to share and talk. Absolutely. So that's essentially what my work is all about, getting people talking. And and, and there are many colour profiles out there, aren't there, we were talking about that. So and, and any of these tools are really, can be really valuable in giving a language. I think that's what you're saying, giving that terminology, giving people permission to explore differences. And that, then when you can go on from exploring and understanding differences, it, it helps you see where there may have been clashes in the past, but then you can get to synergies and you realise that actually you could work with some, someone who likes something different from you, who is different from you, is going to like doing things that you don't like doing and be better at it and vice versa. Exactly. So, There's nothing better than somebody who wants to do all the stuff you'd rather not have totally. and loves it and is quite hand, happy to hand you things you love that they wish were not on their plate. It's amazing what you can do. But if you see that person as a bit of a problem, it completely changes, of course, the way you behave. Whereas if you see that as an opportunity for collaboration, it's a completely different experience. And so that sort of, so you would still say something like that, and then that might lead into other things that you do. I mean, certainly I've used those at the start of management development programs. I think it's a really great way to start, um, gets you on common ground, because you can layer other things onto it, whether it's how somebody... Yeah managers people how clear and direct they are whether they're inclined to give recognition or there's all sorts of things which would also link into people's personality types that you can tie back to um that sort of profiling yeah I mean at the moment all my work is relationship orientated so it runs into things like how we trust each other how effective we are and where we communicate how we can be more adapting to each other without changing who we are so there's a lot of things that move on from there and it depends on the team which way it goes which is why in the book I refer to infinite possibilities, because it depends what turns up, what the issues are, what people want to deal with, what is most urgent. Um, but yes, you can layer all sorts of things on top of that, all kinds of management development. So somebody could sit, do a workshop with me and then actually say, look, we need more technical things and go off in another direction. And that's absolutely fine. Um, but if they stay with me, generally the work then goes deeper and deeper into the interpersonal relationships in that team. Right. So you build more deep into team building and things. Yeah. And I suppose, it, given that that's the area that you're working in, um, mm. and have been for a number of years, and obviously prior to that, you had your, you know, you're in an HR role. I'm intrigued to see whether or not, and I don't know whether this might be pandemic related or not. Do you see that there's a difference in the quality of people's relationships at work now? Would you say that, um, you know, what proportion of people might have optimum personal relationships in the workplace in your experience now? It's really hard to say, isn't it? Because how do you measure that? Who do you mm. ask? And would they even tell you the truth if you did ask them? Um, I, I think the quality of the relationships maybe hasn't shifted. I think there's probably quite a lot of high quality relationships. I guess the question is, who with? 
because if I've got a great relationship with you and and I know we, you've you've talked about it on other podcasts that you've done um you know the Gallup 12 survey that says you know how engaged are people if you've got a great yeah. friend at work that's a huge factor for your level of engagement and your your desire to stay with an organization yeah. but that friend might not be in your peer group and that friend might not be your boss and that friend might not be your key stakeholder and actually if the important relationships are the ones that are tricky that can be a massive mental load and disproportionately affect how happy you are and how well you perform in your job. So I guess even if somebody has got great working relationships and there's lots of that around, which I think there is, that's not to say that it's helping you with the ones that you need to be good or the ones that you want to be good. And I guess what I'm all about is saying, well, actually, let's find ways to make them all better, even a little bit rather than just going, well, I've got some good ones and that's fine, that serves me. It's easier, to, it's it's much more important to be able to turn your hand to lots of relationships rather than just saying I've got one good one or I'm happy I've got a really great one because I think a lot of people do have a good one. The only thing I would say is though that COVID and, and technology in general has meant that in some cases people have to be a bit more deliberate about it. That was what I was going to ask you, actually. So whether or not there's a difference. I mean, I guess you still work with the people you work with, with um, but you may not have the same um, face-to-face, obviously, if you're working in a hybrid or if you're not going to an office, then there may be fewer operation oper- opportunities to interact. Um, and you have to be yeah, intentional, I guess, to try and develop those relationships. And if you were to think about something like that, um, going out and above personality things, what recommendations might you have for people in that sort of, environment where they're trying to be intentional about building relationships any tips on those sort of things I think the the key is to find ways to bring people together I'm a huge fan of face-to-face I generally say to people if you can bring people physically into the room it helps massively because if you're looking at me instead of looking at a screen it completely changes the way we interact with each other because in the room energetically just things are different and if it gets emotional we can hug each other or we can walk away in a way that we can't do when we're not in the room But you can still bring people together virtually if you need to, or if that's the only option that you have for whatever reason. But I think the key things is to get people talking. So things like um, anything that questions people's perception, like I gave those personality examples. But, you know, there's other things you can use that I sometimes use in a workshop, like a poem. There's a poem called The Cookie Thief. And I don't know if you've come across it, but essentially it's a poem about a perception shift. And you can just talk together about what people saw and how they felt about it and and to get them to just share what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what goes through their mind and how they see the world to facilitate that kind of discussion so I think you you need to create opportunities to talk you had a podcast on that you did recently where um you talked about loneliness and as as he was sharing Stephen Van Cohen I think it was as he was sharing the the kind of the things that you can do to make people less lonely or that workplaces are doing I was nodding frantically as I was listening I was like yes find ways to get people together find reasons to talk have regular slots where people engage find reasons that connect people even if it's something they have in common or something that they do together something you do every Friday that creates rhythm or routine or structure that isn't easy get in and get out of for people where they don't necessarily have to do something themselves because, I mean, if you're naturally quite talkative and you seek out company, it's easy to call someone up and to arrange to talk and keep that relationship moving. If naturally you're not like that, then you need to perhaps be given some opportunities to access that. So it depends a little bit on the person. 
but it, it all comes down to the same thing as you need to get people interacting. And I think actually an observation I make from a personal point of view as someone who is actually naturally quite talkative, as you picked up quite quickly, um, I think working 100% remotely that you can really easily get out of the habit, particularly being somebody not early on in my career and, and those sort of things. So it's 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 um, really challenging yourself to make sure you don't miss those opportunities to do that because it's great when you do it, but it's easy to forget that you need it or that it's beneficial um, in terms of that energising self. And sometimes it's just like a starter, a bit like you might put a, a starter into a fire to get a fire burning. Sometimes just bringing people together to get something moving is all it takes because then they can go off on their own and do things. So bringing a team together for a workshop like I do, often I find out months later that they're still talking about that exercise that we did. Yeah. And it still comes up in the team meetings virtually because once they're over that first hurdle, of we've got a language, we've got some things to talk about, we can talk about that workshop. We'll always have that workshop to go back to. It's like the memory that we share that we can always refer back to, but it wasn't the pub or the escape room or something yeah. else that was just yeah. for fun where maybe not everyone engaged or not everyone was there, but you know something that you have as a shared memory almost that you can refer back to. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think that's where the colour tools come in um, really well compared to some of the ones that are a bit more complex because people just hang on to it. And it's really easy to sort of to refer back to and comes out of that terminology. So one of the um, things that we talk about, um, one thing that I picked up on within the book was this idea of using a growth mindset with regard to relationships rather than a fixed mindset. I'm, using, I'm assuming in terms of Carol Dweck's work. So um, I was just interested in to... It wasn't an area that I thought about it in relation to personal relationships necessarily. And I wondered if you'd like to explain a little bit more what you meant by that. Yeah, it's really interesting because when I first read the book, and you know, this is you, you're right, I was referring to Carol Dweck's mindset book. Um, I also didn't look at it that way. I thought about his performance and about learning skills. And you know, yeah. if you've got a growth mindset that says, Well, I can learn to play an instrument or I can learn to run a marathon if I train hard enough. Um that you know that that's how it works but actually growth mindset essentially is if I believe something it changes how I therefore behave and therefore affects my outcomes and it works great in performance but why wouldn't it work in relationships and, and she does have a section in the book that you may not have remembered because if for whatever reason that wasn't where your mind was at yeah. the time but it is in the book and she she says well actually if you've got a growth mindset in relationships then you're somebody who doesn't say can I get on with you do I want to get on with you? It says, well, how would I get on with you? Because growth mindset isn't about can I, it's a how will I. So if I imagine if I imagine that relationships are, you let know, we either get on or we don't, you know, we click or we don't, you're going to be my friend or we just won't be friends. If that's the mindset that you have, your chances of getting on with that person are really quite slim because you've already written it off. But if you go into it going, well, how do I have to, get, how do I have to be different or what is I need to give or what is it I need to get? How do I need to change what I say and how I do things to get on with you? It means I think it's possible. I just don't know how yet. And it keeps you moving in the right direction. So that growth mindset and relationship says we could get on. It might take effort. Sometimes it'll be easy. Sometimes it'll be hard. Effort is required. You need to sustain that just because it's tricky today doesn't mean it's broken, doesn't mean it can't be done, but it keeps you moving towards the it can be done. The question is how. And, and people often don't see that in relationships. They think you either find your one true love in life or you don't, 
or you either get on with your peer group and you don't, and that's just life. And, and I think that's a huge lost opportunity for so many teams that they just write people off as yeah. somebody they don't get on with. And that's actually in, that works in a few ways in the workplace. I mean, I suppose it's interesting thinking about the workplace rather than home life because it's you can still how to get on with certain people in your home life, but might not want to. It might not be worth the effort. But at work, it almost certainly is worth the effort. You know, being able to build strong working relationships is going to help everybody, help the organisation. And I think it also is about um, how we view people when you think about things like talent management. Then, you know, you know, how can that person or how can I use these skills? Everybody's got skills and talents as opposed to having this view that, you know, that's how they are. And they they could be a square peg in a round hole, but we're, and so we're not getting the best out of them. So it's having that mindset there in terms of the people that we manage and their potential as well, potential potentially. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how many people who are listening have ever worked with a nine block. Um, but if you look at some of these talent management systems, you have people who are high potential and people who perhaps not a high potential. Like, says who? Depends who's looking. Yeah. I've seen people move from a high potential corner of an iron block to the bottom left-hand corner and the other way around because their manager changed. And that manager saw potential or that manager said, no, no, I can make this work. And suddenly this person is flying. Yeah. And that's growth mindset because the manager saw something and told the person they had potential and off they went. Whereas somebody else went, well, they're not going to make it. Let's just write them off. But actually, it's the same person. It's just the way that people were approaching it. So there's so many ways that you can apply it in the workplace as a manager, as a in relationship context, in so many different ways. Indeed. So uh, uh, interesting, we're talking about landline managers there and how they can create such a, a strong push or pull for an organisation. If you change them, that might make a difference in terms of um, how someone's being perceived. Moving that forwards, because often we might say that leaders or managers create the culture of an organisation. If you're looking at le- le- you know, yeah, the, the shadow of the leader, the way they behave, etc. But you also talk about in the book about breaking away from cultural patterns. And I was really interested in the angle you talked about where teams have their own rules of culture that are not necessarily driven by the leadership. Um, and he had a monkey case study, which I'll get you to explain about that. But um, I'm just thinking it, it, something's quite practical. If you came in as a, a new leader um, into an organisation and you can see that they've got their own rules of culture, that's quite hard to work out how you're going to this. And let's say they are not the way you want them to be. It's interesting to work out how you could recognise it and what you might do about that sort of thing. So, yeah, no, I, I thought about it long and hard when I was writing that section because it's quite a hard thing to explain. Um, and, you know, there are millions of books written about culture. But should I tell the monkey story first? Just yes, kind of create some content. What it is. <laughs> you, you mean, you mean the, the monkeys in the cage story, don't you, from the book? Yes. Okay, so, the, so this, I don't think any monkeys were hurt in this story. I'm not even sure it's a true story. <laughs> I found it quite hard to find the original source for this when I was writing the book. But essentially, the idea is there are a set of monkeys. I said five monkeys are in a cage. Um, there's a, well, there's not really anything in the cage apart from a little ladder at the back and some bananas at the top. So you can imagine these monkeys are a bit bored. The first thing somebody does is turns around, goes, oh, look, up that ladder, let's get a banana. The only problem is the cage is rigged. Therefore, every single time the monkey or any monkey climbs up the ladder, everybody gets shot with icy water. So basically, the bananas are off limits. It doesn't take long, really, for everyone to be shot with icy water, which is very uncomfortable, for the other monkeys to go, don't go up the ladder, because it's not good for any of us. The interesting thing that happens is you take a monkey out, you put a new one in. The new monkey never climbed the ladder, has no idea about the water. But as soon as that monkey goes up the ladder, all the others 
smack him back down and go, don't go up there. But of course, there's no explanation. And there comes a point when all the monkeys have been changed out that nobody knows why we don't go up the ladder. But we all know that we don't do that around here because you get in trouble when you climb the ladder to the bananas. And that's what I mean where when culture gets completely embedded to the point that nobody actually knows why we do this because it goes so far back and we don't even remember where it originated. Um, and it's just a cool way to think about it. And if you go in new into an organization, so if you're a manager new into a team, the way that you can see that is the things that make no sense. So the things, the questions you're asking, where you say, oh, why is it we do that? And you get this lengthy explanation that makes no logical sense whatsoever. You think to yourself, wonder how that happened. Why do we do it in that order when nobody can really explain it? Well, the explanation is so convoluted. It must be that somewhere on the turn, somebody got you know shot with icy water or smacked off the ladder or something happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that you can look out for is the stories that are told in the business. So listen to the stories people tell, the things people remember in the management meetings. Oh, do you remember her? She did this. Oh, do you remember that project when this happened? You listen to how the story is told. What are the highlights? What are the lowlights? What did we learn? What does it sound like we took away from that story? Because that's often where some of these decisions got made. Because they're basically telling the story of the monkey who got knocked off the ladder. Yeah. And it's actually um, quite co common, really, if you think about it, with that sort of thing with culture. I can definitely think of quite a few examples of where I came across it coming into an organisation. Um, and the sort of thing that you, you've got to do it this way because, and it's not really that convincing. You say, well, why that doesn't make sense? Uh, and most people won't challenge, even though they're not affected, you know, metaphorically being sprayed with um, icy water is more that people say, oh, you shouldn't do it. It's more about disapproval, isn't it? So it's, it's quite challenging to rail against that sort of thing. It depends as well where the authority came from, because if it came from a position of power and it was quite painful and you don't want to get hurt, you're less likely to challenge it. Yes. If it's just somebody else next to you who goes, I don't think we should do that, you'd be like, I don't know. Well, I'd do it. I'm going to do it. Um, and then if nobody's seen the fallout, it just takes somebody to break the pattern. Because, yes. I mean, I certainly had this coming into business as well in the past where I'd come in and somebody goes, well, we don't do that around here. And I would say, I do. Let's have a look at that. And what would happen is it was just that person who thought we didn't do that around here. And had I paid attention, I'd have followed that route too. But actually, I asked around a bit. And it turns out that that's, there's a story behind why he thinks that. And we need to get rid of it. Yeah. There's no reason to hold on to that other than a bit of history and a bit of pain. And sometimes people need help with that pain. And, and again, it happens in teams as well. If the team doesn't share, if I arrive and I can see that there's a, a real resistance to sharing, I often think, hmm, wonder what the punishment was yeah. emotionally or otherwise for having an opinion in the past or what opinions are acceptable, what opinions are not acceptable. You know, what, what gets measured? I, you know, we often say in businesses, what gets measured gets done. Yeah. Like, yeah, but if I'm measuring you on how quiet you are or how timely you are, that's going to affect how everyone behaves, especially if someone's in a position of power. What and is, it's not necessarily the manager, is it? Because power could come from relationship. Yeah, boss, very much so. Some of the power from family dynamics or from how long I've been here or which projects I was involved in or status of some other kind. There's, there's lots of types of power. Yeah, just the grumpy person in the organisation. <laughs> those people have, have specific, those sort of energy sappers. There's lots of people have um, ne negative power as much as anything else. I want well, people build whole people build whole processes around how to get round so and so in the office. Yes, as yeah. opposed to thinking 
we could just take that person on, couldn't we, and challenge them. They're like, well, we don't want to rock that boat. So what we'll do is we'll just build a whole process to suit this one person. <laughs> and then the person leaves and the process is still crazy convoluted yeah. because it was it was designed around someone who's not there anymore. And that is, I'd say that's also where leadership should come in on management, not letting those sorts of things. That should be challenged um, overall if you really have got that that difficult person that's creating a whole whole culture around it. Um, one of the things that uh, I saw was where that, that occurred to me when I was man- line managing somebody is that we're sometimes guilty unintentionally of doing this to others. So you can have something where you've come in and all fresh faced and excited and said, I'm going to try and do this in this organization. And then you kind of had the metaphor of it not working for you, maybe because of the icy water equivalent and it didn't work. Then try you can, you don't have to pass it on is one thing. So I do remember having um, having had the experience of, of I don't know, trying to sell something and no one wanted to buy it at that point in time within an organization. And then a new person comes in who's all excited, suggests the very same thing, which you think, yeah, I thought that was a good idea, but it will never work. It's, it's, it's maybe trying not to do, but it will never work because actually in a different day with a different setup, a bit like your analogy about if the manager, a different manager can view someone as good or bad. It's, it's been realizing that being open-minded just because that idea didn't work a year ago doesn't mean it won't work now and so not not passing on the icy water you know nonsense that culture is in terms of that is something I think worth thinking about from a from a, a, an individual manager point of view if, if we're managing others but you see what you've just done as well is this growth mindset thing again not it can't be done but how would it be done and it may well be we don't know the answer it is a bit like if I'm if I'm struggling to get on with you and you're just not hearing me and I'm trying to say something and it's, I know it's not, it's not getting through to you. Yeah. It could be me. It could be the timing's wrong for you. It could be the context. There could be loads of things going on. We can either go, well, it's not going to work. We can go, okay, well, at this moment with this person in this way, it doesn't work. That's not to say it can't be done. Then you just have to decide where you're going to put your energy. Yeah. And totally. a bit like you said, the relationships that are worth working on, sometimes you have to put more energy in to get through that and sometimes you just wait for people to catch you up yeah so yes it's it yeah it's it's all part of the same openness to finding another way yes and still believing it's worth doing still believing it's possible so i get that's a great way of linking back to the growth mindset so i suppose um as we predicted we, we've we've been chatting for a while if we were to bring this all together Yvonne, if you were to um maybe come up with your top tips if you're a leader or manager and you come into a team and it's not really working at an optimum level what would you um, share with the listeners in terms of top tips or key takeaways on this topic? I think the first the first one for me is around the mindset thing. You need to at least begin to get yourself in a position where you think it can be done. The question is how. So if you want excellent team relationships and you want good team dynamics, you have to believe it's possible. Then you are in the right market for finding something that works for you. It might take a bit of time to find something and it might be a bit of trial and error, but you need to be at least open to the fact that it can be done. And that doesn't necessarily always mean that somebody has to go or somebody new has to come. You have to be willing to do that. Um, I think also a lot of things that people have to bear in mind is that this is not a soft skill. You often get resistance in business to relationship building and teamwork. And you can just see the eye roll yes. um, of some people even the hearing the podcast. Skills, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the word fluffy might have crossed some people's mouths at some point, but it's not. It's a hard skill. And I say it's hard because it's hard. It's hard to do well. Therefore, it can't possibly soften squidgy because it's difficult. Therefore, it's technically challenging. 
but it's also a basic human need. So human connection is a basic human need. And if you're in any way struggling to justify for yourself that this is in fact a hard, hard skill and not something soft and fluffy, is to look at all the links that it has to performance and engagement and productivity and attendance and mental health and well-being and all the other things that are critical to successful business. And I think for a lot of people, this kind of it's hard because it's a hard skill is something that people need to get through. Very good. Very, very much. I was just linking into it's that investing in relationships. Sorry, my brain went then to I was listening to one of these podcasts about why schools are falling down and all these other sort of things. The lack of investment, actually investing in relationships is it's you don't want to go anaerobic. It's about long term, healthy relationships, which is what yeah. makes work worth doing and, you know, and fun and yeah. all those things, isn't it? And I guess, yeah. And then my final point would be that um, it only happens when people connect with each other. So you can have great systems, you can have great processes, you can have all these lovely things, but human connection happens between human beings. Yeah. One to one or collectively, but it has to be about people interacting with each other. There is no other formula. There's no sending them on some course. They have to physically look each other in the eyeball and talk to each other. And yes, it can be virtual if necessary, but I do find it quicker in a room face to face. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yvonne, um, if people want to connect with you or find you or look up your book, obviously we'll put links in the show notes at hruprising.com on this episode. But would you like to just tell people as well how they can get hold of you? Yeah, so the easiest way to get hold of me is through either the website or LinkedIn. So the website is goldencatalyst.co.uk. And on LinkedIn, you can find me as Yvonne Guerino. Obviously, look me up as Golden Catalyst if the Guerino spelling is a bit tricky. Um, I'm also on Instagram and on Twitter, which isn't, of course, called Twitter anymore, as Evie yeah. is me. So YVI is me. So you can find me there as well. Brilliant. And if people are interested in just kind of keeping this running in the background, I have a monthly newsletter with ideas and suggestions for things you could be doing that I call my inner circle. And you can get to that from my website as well. Fabulous. Yvonne, it's been a pleasure to have you on the HR Uprising podcast. Thank you. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.